You are listening to the Uncommon Truth Podcast, produced by the Father's House Church in Oroville, California. I'm Luke, and we created this podcast because we want to explore Christianity the way that Jesus intended it to be. If you're interested in joining us on this journey, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, or for more resources, check out changeoroville.org. just had our men's retreat and if if we hadn't had the ordination ceremony I would have guys up here to share with you what that was and what it meant to them and I think it was probably the best men's event we've ever had um, there was a completely different spirit and there's a anxiousness and an expectation of this revi- of a revival that's coming to the father's house church and what God has told me for most of my life is that it's a holiness revival it's a move of holiness and uh, that scares me because, you know, you get up next to holiness and you look really bad. I mean, I'm, I said you. I get up next to holiness and I don't look so good, you know. I think I got my life pretty straight, but I get up next to a plumb line and, man, all of a sudden I look pretty crooked. You know, it's like, really? Is that the revival that's coming? <laughs> and then it's, yes, Lord, I want that because... I will straighten up, I'll straighten up good when I stand next to you, you know, and I want to straighten up good. So these messages that we preached at the men's retreat and the messages that we preach every Sunday morning are because of a decision I made, I don't know how many years ago, but it was really close to when I first started out. I made a decision to be a biblical Christian. I did an apologetic study of the Bible to see, because many people said it was a fairy tale, they discredit how it's put together. They discredit the fact it is not perfect, right? And anybody outside of the group that says it's perfect can easily show its imperfections, its contradictions. You can even go back in the history of its interpretation. But you have to decide somewhere along the line, is this God's inspired message to us? Is this the inspired words of the Lord? And so I, I came to a, you know, in, in a very in-depth study... I decided, I'm believing that. I'm believing it. The historical evidence is just overwhelming. It's beyond your imagination. A guy by the name of Josh McDowell was a professor at Harvard, and he was so sick of Christian kids standing up and arguing with him because of the Bible. So he, his name, he goes out and he says, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to research, and I'm going to prove once and for all and shut these kids down in my Harvard classes. He got into the second chapter, he did an introduction, his premise, and then as he started to research for the beginning chapters and start to lay it out, he fell on his knees and cried out to God asking for forgiveness that he had ever not believed the Bible. And he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And he compiled an amazing array of apologetics about the Bible. And I remember reading that as among many other authors who had tried the same thing. I'm going to show that the Bible's not true. And then they fell down and repented. So I, the Father's House pastor, called to be the pastor and founder of the Father's House. I have to tell you, I'm biblical. And sometimes I would like to apologize to you that every week this thing just hits you in the gut, hits me in the gut, but it it calls me further up and farther in every time. And I have to tell you that I I listen to every message at least twice and usually three times. I'll go fact check some things I say, and every once in a while I'll find something I did I, I said wrong. Now, when I was younger, I found a lot more. 
But as I've gotten rid of those things, oh yeah, that's not that was wrong. I think more, more and more, I, all I want to do is read what it says, tell you what it says, and leave it, at you, leave it with you. I have found that, you know, the first night of my journey, when I found out God was real, I read the book of Revelation the first night. And my conclusion was, he's serious about this stuff. Man, it seems like everyone I talk to is not as serious about it as he is. And I kind of... You know, I remember I, uh, I got in trouble at a Bible college. I went to a Bible college for a short time, was there on a basketball scholarship, trying to learn more about youth ministry. And I got in trouble for saying this thing, I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect. Oh, that made them mad. Oh, my gosh. I would walk through the campus, and I would be scorned. People would open their dorm windows to say, who do you think you are wanting to be perfect? I'm just quoting Jesus, be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. I'm just saying I want what he says to be true in my life. Right. Well, the fact that the Bible said it didn't bother them much, but it bothered me. Like, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to have a philosophy that's not what this Bible teaches. It says, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Like, whoa, that's a, that's a bar way out of my reach. But if I don't start reaching for it, I'm not getting any closer. Do I have to grab it before I die or I'm doomed? No. You have to reach for it all the days of your life. Get further and further up and farther in all the days of your life. Further up and farther in. Today we're going to read a story about some men who saw Jesus do everything, heard his words. Do you know that they literally crucified Jesus for trying to overthrow the king when all he taught was love your enemies, do good to those who harm you, telling them to love the Romans. But what kept these, these guys that were trying to destroy him kept saying lies about him. In fact, they, so that they could justify killing him, they put a sign on his cross saying, Jesus, the king of the Jews. And uh, boy, the Jews didn't like that. But that's, they, they wanted to be able to say, well, he's claiming to be a king, so we had to kill him. Because you can only have one king, and that's Caesar. Anyway, so here we go. There's this faction in the Jewish religion that the mostly Galileans say, You're ne you cannot pay the temple tax, or the, the, the Caesar's tax, and it's worth dying for. It's so important, it's worth dying for. And then the rest of them are saying, no, you can pay Caesar's tax. And so there's this argument going, and here's what they did. I'm going to read, we're starting in verse 19, but what happened in verse 18, I'll just refer this, I'll refer you to it. It says, it says, here's the last words he said that made them do this. He said, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever it falls on will scatter like, like dust. And they knew he was talking about them. Let's start in verse 19. That's what we're going to start. The next verse. The scribes and the chief, scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour. And they feared the people, for they understood that he had spoken this parable against them. And if you weren't here, it was the parable of the vine grower who would not honor the landowner. And he said, they said, he spoke that whole parable about us. And so they got really mad. It says they tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they, but they did fear the people. So, so, verse 20, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement 
so they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they went silent. They became silent. They shut up. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in this. And man, I've had a ton come at me here in the last few minutes. But I'm not sure where, where, how much you can understand of this. Because everybody wants to make it about a coin. So let me just explain what the coin was. It was so... Every king would print money in their own image, and the money belongs to them, and you're just using it, right? And it's kind of like our treasury prints money and says, in God we trust. Well, when they first started this, they wanted you to know that they were trying to honor God as king of America. And uh, so they're trying to catch him. A denarius is one day's pay. A wage of a, and every single male, 14 to 65, who lived in your household. So if you had 10 brothers and a father, you paid $11, 11 days pay. But 11 men working, that's, it honestly wasn't a huge tax of any kind. It was the idea of paying tribute, called tribute or honor to Caesar. Does that make sense? Tribute or honor to Caesar. You are saying by giving this tax, Caesar is my God, is my king. And so Israel was just all torn in two over this, and it was hugely combative. I mean, they were really angry over this tax, and these guys were just saying, just give them the dollar and get them off our back. You know, um, so the Pharisees, it's kind of interesting word. It says, they tried to lay hands on him, they sent spies, and they were trying to catch him in a wrong statement. And, and here's how they did that. They said to him, teacher, so understand, they're trying to get a hold of him, they're trying to trick him, they're trying to catch him, they're totally his enemy, and they want to do harm out of offense because they're really mad that what he just said was that the stone, which is him, is going to fall on them. And if they fall on him, they're going to scatter. If he falls on them, they're going to be dust. And so they, you, you, how dare you say that of us? You know, we're the, we're the rulers. We're the bad. We're the good guys. And it says they're trying to do these things. Well, when you're trying to trick somebody, catch somebody, and sending spies, you're probably not the good guys. You're probably not. You probably don't trust God to take care of his own, Right? You don't really tr- probably trust God to make, make it right. That it, vengeance is his. or you, I mean, so they were under the law, so vengeance is his. They really didn't believe that. They thought vengeance was theirs, and they were the hand of God to bring it. So we know that you speak truth, they said to him. Oh, teacher, we know that you speak only truth. You are not partial to any way. Say, you're not partial to the taxpayers or the, or the tax withholders. And then... He, it says in verse 23, he, detecting their trickery, said, show me a coin. And, and, the, and the, 
they, well, whose inscription's on the coin? Caesar's. And here's what he said that I think maybe we should put back up. Let me find it. Um, 25. Put verse 25 back up, boys. Is it guys? <laughs> Girls? Guys? Folks? <clears throat> he said to them, then render the things that are Caesar's to Caesar and the things that are God to God's. We just want to make it about a coin or a tax. We want to decide, you know, we also have factions in Christianity that say it's it's unlawful for them to charge you tax. You're, they're not your king and blah, 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 blah. And there's all this fight over it and about money. And it is about money somewhat, but it's, it's see, it says the things. He's including the tax as the answer. It's okay. The answer to you is the main body of truth. What belongs to God? Then give him what belongs to him. What he was really doing, he honestly was slamming them again. Do you belong to God or don't you? What does this tax have to do with anything? Are you his? And if you're his, then give your life to him. If you don't want to pay tax and they kill you for it, accept his will. And you just want to give a dollar to get them off your back so you can go about serving God? Then do that. And I think in today's world, we, we still have that battle between the world system and God, belonging to God. See, the world system does not reward you in any way, shape, or form for belonging to God. If you're to say that all that you have belongs to God, the world system has no reward for you. It has no return. Now, Jesus promises a 30-fold, 60-fold, 90-fold, and then he says even a 100-fold return on all that belongs to him. Now, think about that. So if I were to, a couple of years ago, when money was making half a percent, if I were to pay 5% to somebody who invested with me, man, they made, that, was, that was pretty stinking good. Today, things have changed, and it's more like, you know, it's going higher. But they're looking for that low of a percentage. Our president gets up and says there's an 8% inflation on our land when prices are doubling and tripling. And if you all have calculators on your phone, show, you know, do 8% and see that that's not anywhere near true. The inflation in our country has got to be 300% if it's anything, not eight. I mean, it's, it's gone bananas. So you have to, so, and, and, and I have to tell you that the 90% of human beings walking through the world heard that and said, yeah, that 8%, man. Because most of us go to public schools to learn our education and and we don't really study and we don't really learn. I mean, even in public school, they teach you 8% is hardly anything. Triplet is not 8%. And we all live that way. It's like, you know, we're excited about its return, you know. So we get into the world system and their return will allow me to have comfort. Does your comfort belong to him? It'll allow me to have possession. And the more you, the more you gather in possession, is it is easy to make sure it belongs to him? You know, I remember the pastor asked me, you know, he's having a really hard time with crying babies. We were young families, you know, real young families. The nursery almost had to bring babies upstairs to get their mom. It was so disruptive. So we put in a nursery call system. And I remember the pastor asked me, would you put in a nursery call system so 
uh, a number will show up, and the mom knows her number, so she'll just sneak out of the room, and it's very uninterrupting, you know? So I crawled through attics and pulled wires and put in this system down in the nursery, and boom, boom, boom. And then they wanted to pay me. And I was just stunned, you know. I was, you know, we were, we were very broke. And they wanted to pay me, and it was nice of them to want to pay me. But what it should never become is an argument. But I was shocked. I mean, you want to pay me for what I did for Jesus? I'm not, I, I, I can't do that. You want to compensate me for a job I did for Jesus? Wasn't this for Jesus' church? Isn't this Jesus' church? You want to pay me for a job I did for him? I was, I like, I, I, I really appreciate the offer, but would you let me not be paid? Because I can't do that. And it came into a confrontation. That your number one job is to take care of your family. And I remember, I remember the argument. Your number one job is to take care of your family. And it was like, it was combative. Like, who do you think you're judging us? I never said a word about you. I said, I cannot get paid to serve Jesus. I cannot get paid to, to, to serve his church. I want to fix every doorknob. I want to do everything you want me to do. I'm here. I'm volunteering. You know, I'm in. I want to fix this church. I want to use my skills. But, you can't, but we can't have this every time, this argument over whose church is it. It's his. And I owe him everything, and I'm not getting paid for it. So maybe you shouldn't have me fix stuff, even though I want to. Because I'm not charging Jesus for his church. So I remember that as this, it was like the beginning of me seeing that, man, people don't like this when you say the church belongs to Jesus. You know, this is what he says. He says, I will, on the truth that he told Peter, he says, on this rock, this truth that I am the Christ, the Son, the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I've been members of churches where men and their decisions have allowed the gates of Hades to prevail against the church because men took possession and said, it's mine. You know, the strong men, violent men take the kingdom of God by force, and, and they turn it to what they want, and pretty soon the church isn't the kingdom of God anymore. And, the, and Satan prevails, and it's like, here's what I know. If that was Jesus' church, the gates of hell would never prevail because Jesus said, my church, the gates of hell will never prevail. So I just believe him. But I've seen the gates of hell prevail in so many places, and it's like, oh, how do I, you told me to start a church, and I'm just a carpenter. How do I keep it from being overcome? Make sure it's my church. So I'm here to tell you again today, for the three millionth time, and remember, I don't exaggerate. This lampstand is Jesus' lampstand, not mine. I don't own a church. Only he owns churches. And this is his church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. For the men and women you saw up here, and those that took the knee today, our commitment is to manage for him his church. And you look at the verse that I put up on the screen says, the things that are God's. All the chairs are God's. I, I, when someone abuses one of the chairs, I get a little irritated with them. That's because that's Jesus' chair. Look out for his chair. Take care of his sound system. Take care of his stuff. 
Someone says, I'd come fix it tonight, but I got family coming. Well, I, I'm, I'll, I'll go fix it tonight. I got family coming too. But it's Jesus' church. Did you miss that? I'll go take care of it. I owe him everything. And so the question, you know, I mean, it's obviously the story. They were trying to trick him. They wanted to harm him. They were offended. And I have found people trying to harm the church are almost always tricking, offending, offended, trying to hurt somebody. It's always that kind of onslaught of the wolf. And the wolf always wears sheep's clothing. And the weed growing amongst us is always hiding itself amongst the wheat. Those are the things Jesus said. It's always that way. But the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. On this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So I have great confidence that if I can guard against making this my church, making it about my profit, making it about my possession, my comfort, my future, my fame, my fortune, my whatever, the world system, then I know that gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and everybody who comes to the Lord here will find the Lord, and they can begin a relationship with Him, and they can grow in Him, and be loved by Him, and love Him. And one day they can say, yes, I can pull my Jesus coin out of my pocket, and you want to know whose inscription is on it is Jesus. That's who owns me. If I were a coin, I got Jesus stamped on me. If I were a house, my house belongs to Jesus. If I have a house, it belongs to Jesus. That's what's stamped on my house. My family, only thing I care about my family is that they have Jesus stamped on them. That they follow the words of Jesus, that he's on a lampstand high and lifted up. That they attend a church, that they're active members of that church. My son will call me to argue about points of the Bible. I don't care that he disagrees. I do care that he disagrees, but I don't. That's not my biggest concern. So your pastor's teaching you those things. That's fine. Well, whose inscription is on your life? When my dad was dying and I said, what do you want, dad? You want me to call a priest? Do you want last rites? Do you want all this stuff? Heck no. Dad, who... How are you saved? When you die, are you going to go to heaven? Yes. How are you saved? We were taught the church. And he said, because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I serve him every day of my life. Okay, Dad. That's whose inscription's on you. It doesn't matter what church you attend. I don't even agree with that church much. Except for that cross they have. I really agree with that. I don't care what church you go to. Who, who's, whose inscription is stamped on you? Who owns you? See, it's, this book has this New Testament from Matthew to Revelation calls Jesus the Lord 700 times. And do you know what? You know what the Lord is in their day? He's the owner. Whether he's the master slave owner, anyone who owned land, all the people that worked there said when the Lord comes, the owner of the land was referred to as the Lord of the land. 
The nation of Israel, the Lord was the owner of the nation of Israel. They didn't have any qualms about this. When I say, does Jesus own you? People bristle. That's what Lord means. What's really clear from beginning to end of the new covenant is you cannot be saved if he's not your Lord. Back in the 80s, they started this knowing Jesus as a Savior, but not as Lord. And I'm like, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. He cannot, he's not Savior. He is only going to be Savior for those that made him their Lord. And those that made him their Lord are the ones that made him their owner. And the ones who made him their owner are the ones who have the stamp of ownership. The mark of the lamb. One guy, in one story, he throws a guy out for not being dressed right. I was incredulous. In the invitation, they didn't describe the clothes. How could I know what to wear? Is it formal or informal? I have to call the bride at every wedding. What should I wear? So I'm not clashing with your colors. And I'd never even think of that. It's actually Vicky. I should give the credit where it's due. It's actually Vicky that... Did you ask her? Oh, no, I forgot again. It's a mad rush to try to figure out what color to wear because I don't know what clothes to wear. And this guy gets kicked out of the wedding feast. And it says, turn him over to the torturers. I mean, like, what? I mean, come on. If you're listening right now, that one made you go, what? Torturers for being kicked out of the wedding feast. And he's saying, this is the way the kingdom of heaven will be. This is the way it will be in the end, I think is how that one says. Like, how do I know what to wear? I, got, I do know what to wear, by the way. It's the ownership. It's the stamp, the mark of the lamb. Here's what's really clear, the mark of the lamb. A soul that is clean. Anyone who sneaks in with a soul that's not clean will be thrown out. That's the cl- wedding clothes of the lamb. Now, for me, clean is, it's a foregone conclusion. That's not going to happen unless Jesus makes me clean. Unless I am washed in his blood, unless he considers me a sheep and not a goat, unless my lamp is full, not empty, unless my branch is bearing fruit, not barren, unless I'm at work in the vineyard when he returns, unless my foundation's on the rock and not the sand, unless I am not found, am found doing what he says and not, not doing what he says, all of those things, I will not have the close of the wedding feast. And I'm going to keep going. In spite of all the argument, I'm going to keep going. Whose inscription is on your things? I've been there, people. I've lost things and went, oh, no. I mean, i got to tell you, some of you haven't heard this story. Some of you have. And if you have, you'll just enjoy it again. I was building a bunch of houses up here in a nicer neighborhood. And I built a lot of houses in lesser neighborhoods. And I used really cheap doors on lesser neighborhoods and really expensive doors on more expensive houses. It's just the way you do things when you build houses. You get paid for, you know, more for the nice house. So you do way better stuff. And I had these doors that were $1,200. Way back a long time ago, the $1,200 door today is not even a very good door. See what I'm saying? But they, these were really nice doors. These were, these were standout doors. Some reason, one of my employees thought they weren't safe in this nice neighborhood and brought them to Southside and put them in this 
Well, where the zincs live now in this two-story, you could actually see through it. And, you know, sometimes you would look at it and you see Katie on the other side trying to hide from you <laughs> when she was running amok in the streets. Pastor Catherine now, for all of you. Hey! So, he thought those doors were safer in Southside in a building that had no walls that you could just reach in and open the door. And, of course, they got stolen. In one night, they got stolen, and I was so upset. I'm running up and down the streets, just, I am just like, I'm going to find those doors. I'm sure I know who took them. Where is that cat? Where is that Katie girl? <laughs> it was not her, but I was looking for that. She was with a crowd. It probably was, and I was looking for them. But I looked at every house. Who's, putting, who's doing a remodel? Who's doing a remodel? Who stole my doors? Where are they? And I mean, I was starting to get really worked up. I pulled up over here by what is now our shop, you know, the, the, the shop right over here. And I'm just like, they try to think, okay, where else do I look? Where else do I look? I'm going to get these doors back, $1,200 doors. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, what are you upset, I'm so upset for? I said, Lord, they stole my doors. And <laughs> last thing I ever expected him to say was, whose doors? Oh. Whose inscription is on those doors? Wow. Okay, Lord, they stole your doors, and I'm a little ticked off they stole your doors. I'm your steward. <laughs> it doesn't bother me that they stole my doors. I, I wanted to see peace in your heart. And I just said, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you bless them with those doors they have? And Lord, help them be really blessed to use those doors properly and, and, and let it be a good door for them. If they want them to have your doors, that's fine with me. And I went and bought more doors. But the lesson was, well, how fast did I become absolutely insanely crazy over my doors, his doors, their doors, you know? I mean, I, you follow me? Anybody tracking what I'm laying down? So the question to me is, you know, whose inscription is on your life? Whose inscription is on your things? If it's Caesar's, then go ahead and live in Caesar's world. Go ahead and live in Caesar's world. He crucifies people. He, he separates people by race and gender, and he makes right what's wrong and wrong what's right. Go ahead and serve him. Go ahead and join his world because there's such this driving force in us men especially to be successes in this world and for other men to look at us and say, when I share with you I built 400 houses, I try not to, but even inside of me, there's this thing that, yeah, I mean, they're impressed with that. You know, there's just this drive in us to want to be seen as successful in their world. And I confess to you that I repent of that daily, continually. I don't want to be seen as a success in their world. I have gifts and talents that I could rule their world. I could. But I want to serve in this world not that world I want to rule nowhere I want a ruler I want a king a master I want my truck to be his truck that he lets me drive <laughs> I just don't know why if you knew but my gifts and talents would serve in their world, would, would really su be successful in their world, unbelievably successful. But I asked this weekend a couple people, you know, did I 
have anything to do with your life being better? Oh, yeah. I said, that's what I want. I want my gifts and talents to be used for lives. To help more people stamp themselves with the, with the mark of the lambs. I don't know if it's here or there, whatever. Stamp themselves with the mark of the lamb. Give their life over to ownership of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I have been bought with a price. My life is no longer mine, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And all that I've accumulated in my talents and gifts, I did it for the Lord to build his church. And I have too. That attitude about the nursery thing, I never lost that. I work for him. He does not pay me. I, if I could, if I could ever own anything, I would pay him gladly. He, he, his inscriptions on my things. And you know, I've been so. My wife asked me yesterday, "Why do you love me?" You know, wives do that. And us guys are terrible with the answers. <laughs> but I got to tell you, one of the most important things I love her for is. You know, this is a hard one for women to go along with when someone like me says, no, we've given it all away. I have never had to fight her to make our life be owned by Jesus. Our house, our possessions, our money, our houses, our, you know, no, we're using it for the kingdom. Never once have I had to fight her. And for that alone, the, the lack of resistance in me doing what's right is I love her for that so much. I just thank God all the time, man. I could have got, I could have lost this so many. If I'd have married so-and-so or so-and-so's, who knows what I would have got. But I didn't. I married her. And you picked her for me. I saw a picture the other day of a house I grew up in. And the first thought wasn't anything. I mean, I had a great life in that house. But the only thing that mattered to me, Vicki was standing right there in that picture when I first saw her. And I was standing right there. That's what I thought when I saw that house. She was 15, 14, I was 15. He picked me for her. I remember right where she was standing. He picked her for me because my life belongs to him. Her life, she gave it to him. When you come forward at an altar call, I mean, it's just rampant throughout the world bless my life, bless my life. He blesses me. Well, I don't know if you ever hear me talking about the blessings of my life. I hope you do. I say them all the time. But I'd rather talk to try to convince you to give your life to him. Don't try to get him to bless yours. Give it to him. When you give it to him, if he blesses yours, there's no return, not even 5%. When you give your life to him, 30%, 60%, 90%, 100%, he even said to the apostles, said, who can be saved? We've given everything. He said, no one who gives even a cup of water will fail to receive their reward in this life many times more, 30, 60, 90, 100. And in the age to come, eternal life. I mean, how do you put a percentage on that? 30, 60, 90, 100, eternal life. So if I give him my life... And my coin is stamped with his, his picture, not Caesar's. And I give to Jesus what's his. Man, my interest rate is soaring. 
You might not know this, but I'm broke almost all the time. And we live like we're not broke. We get a 30, 60, 90% return in our life all the time. He takes care of us. It's wild. We make plans when we have nothing to make the plans with. I remember one day I was getting on a cruise ship with a zero money in my pocket for 30 days. Someone else bought us a cruise. And two businessmen walked up to me and handed me $1,200 in cash. Said, the Lord told me to give this. You do have money, right? I said, no, I have nothing. Oh, well, the Lord told me to give you this. $1,200 walking on the cash. Businessmen that do not go to my church. Wild. Go from zero to $1,200. What's that percentage? Any of you public school educators help me with that one? What's the percentage on zero to $1,200? Anybody know that? Math whizzes? It's like crazy, isn't it? But that's walking with God. Amen? Amen? Should I quit? My wife, my wife's telling me to stop. She's don't like these stories. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, I, I can only give examples of my life. Anyway, who's printed on your coin? Whose whose inscription is on you? Who does your life belong to? Is it your life to invite goodness to come follow you or walk with you? Or is it his life? Have you given it to him? Did he get to buy it for? Did he get to buy your life? Did he pay the price for you? Would you accept his cross, his cross as the price for you? To buy you? To purchase you? To lay down your life to him? To bow? To be anointed to serve him all the days of your life? Would you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. I love you. I worship you. You have built your church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I want my life to also be your church, your possession that the gates of Hades would never prevail against. And I want each and every person here today for their life to be purchased and owned and your inscription to be on their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast today. I hope this episode encouraged you, inspired you, maybe even challenged you to keep seeking after everything Jesus has for you and the life he calls you to live. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to the Uncommon Truth Podcast. That way you'll get every episode each week when it's released. It would really help us if you could rate and review and even share this podcast with anyone that you think would be encouraged by it. Help us spread the message to more people so that we can all live out this Christianity the way Jesus intended it to be. If you would like to get in touch with us, have any questions about the podcast, the topics, or even like us to pray for you, you can do so by emailing us at uncommontruthpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.